You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks that we can gather uh, to worship another week, that we can hear your word, that we can commune with the saints, and know that you have both created us and reached down and made it possible to speak to you and hope in you, to not fear that we rest in you. This is a marvelous thing. It, it overwhelms us. We give thanks. Pray that we're faithful this day in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, yes, good morning. Uh, and um, uh, thank, thanks for joining us with all the headaches of of the traffic and such as that one thing I, so uh nature and grace is our topic which is a huge topic it, it's an enormous topic that i i'm really excited to cover in two sundays uh so there'll be this week and next week and we've got it uh but it really is a topic that consumes or covers the entirety of the the christian message uh it's it's the topic in some ways, because nature and grace is the continuum of the idea of creation and redemption, of how God made us and how God saves us. So uh, it's also a topic that I keep coming back to. When Gil asked me to fill in and, and teach, he always says, well, just pick something you're thinking about. And it's like, well, okay, pizza. You know, no, I mean, you know, it's like, well... I, Right, I mean, it's like, what, what's on your mind, you know? Um, and, and this one's on my mind. This one's on my mind, um, that nature part especially, because if you've joined me in some other classes, uh, this question of human nature, this question of the natural order of human nature, is for the first time probably in Western thought, under various pressures, it has not experienced this idea and I'll, you'll see in a moment, I think the idea has always been there, of course. But what is it? What is human nature? And why does it seem of late to have become controversial to speak of this thing called a human? Uh, whether it's in pop culture or whether it's in more philosophical or academic circles or on the news or in education. That's why it sort of haunts me a little bit. It's uh, as, I, as I've wrestled with this and I tell my students that as much as the ideologies of the 19th and 20th centuries um, sort of consumed public thought, uh, in the 21st century, it seems the question of human nature itself is starting to creep up there. Who would have thought that? It always seemed to have been a given against which so much of Western thought, religious thought, uh, was measured and, and where it interacted. So that's, that's sort of my, my premise for going into this. And it's just a very important topic biblically. Um, again, it's the spectrum of creation and redemption. The image is, of course, from um, the Sistine Chapel in Rome, um, in, the, in, in Vatican City. Um, and my youngest son saw me put that image up there. I said, what, what, do, you, what do you think? He says, it's, it's really nice, if not a bit overused. So uh, he's right. <laughs> so I, forgive my laziness. I didn't go dig back for another one. But 
I thought it got it. Let, let's begin just with some news headlines. Let's just begin with some news headlines and, and watch our time. Um, because whatever we, we're not able to finish today, of course, we'll, we'll pick up next week. From Scientific America in 2012. This is, this is a real headline, an article. Scientists probe human nature and discover we are good. Recent studies find our first impulses are selfless. And um, so I went back and, and, uh, and read the article uh, Friday, Saturday. And uh, it, yes, that's exactly the title is correct. That's what the article is about. Scientific American. Are we by nature good? So says the science. How about this one from CNN? <laughs> Breaking news. This is true. This is a real headline. From 2018. <laughs> People are inherently good, nonviolent. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, that's a real headline uh, that you can find on CNN's um, website if you, if you dig back a bit. Okay. How about this one from the magazine Nature? The idea of two sexes is simplistic. Biologists now think there is a wider spectrum. 2015, not, not so long ago. These are common. These are incredibly common headlines. I just isolated these three because they were kind of convenient to get to and read and, and to, to see what they're talking about. Well, the science has spoken. What is human nature? It's a hot topic. It is a, it's a public discussion now, not just a a closeted philosophical dis discussion, right? In 2020, um, which I, I kind of chuckled when I read this, given my, when, if you remember 2020 uh, as a year, it's a tough one. Um, uh, I, I think he's a Norwegian. Uh, Rutger Bregman wrote a book called Humankind, A Hopeful History. And I'm going to read a couple of quotes from the, um, from the uh, review of the book. According to Bregman, it's important to understand that our true nature is mostly good because it can encourage us to create institutions with less hierarchical structures and less stifling leadership. And these ways of organizing ourselves can have better outcomes. And that's the cover of the book there. So let that sink in just for a moment. This, this book by this um, psychologist. Bregman lists several other tips at the end of the book that people can use to see the goodness in humanity. Things like, when in doubt, trust first. Temper your empathy. Train your compassion. Avoid the news. Although the news seems to be right there with him if we follow the headlines. Um, if we take the view that we are born to be good, we can make a society that is fairer and freer for all, he says. That doesn't take optimism. It just takes paying attention to science and experience. I think we're beginning to see the theme unfold here of, of the last couple of decades and why I think it's an important theme. What is human nature? What is science? What is the natural order? What are these other 
voices in our culture telling us about human nature? Are we fundamentally good? Is that where our hope lies in terms of a more, well, things we, I think we would all fairer and freer world? Doesn't sound bad to me. Um, and if, if these aren't really capturing the imagination, I got real fortunate uh, just yesterday in, um, in a really, well, it's a, it's a pretty heavy academic journal called The Hollywood Reporter. Um, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, who is a fine actor and you can only hope decently that healthy at 80 years old. <laughs> Let's just read a couple of quotes from an interview that he did this week, just a few days ago, with a Hollywood reporter. My mother was Jewish, my father was Catholic, and I was raised a Democrat. My moral purpose was being a Democrat with the big D, but it didn't apply to a political point of view so much as it applied to nature. I didn't have any religious construct but I think nature and God are the same thing. There's a Protestant theologian named Paul Tillich. This is Ford, uh, who studied philosophy in college. There's a Protestant theologian named Paul Tillich who wrote that if you have trouble with the word God, take whatever is central and most meaningful to your life and call that God. Tillich was writing mid-20th century. The mysterious origin of life, science tells us how it happened. Prophecy tells us another story. I found that everything in nature, the complexity, the biodiversity, the symbiotic relationships is the same thing other people attribute to God. Well, um, there's a lot to unpack right there, but I, I, don't, I, I don't fully intend to unpack that so much as to use it as a both those headlines and this as a launching point for the question at hand. What, do, what are we talking about when we talk about nature and human nature? I actually think Harrison Ford's perspective is more common than we might think, especially growing up in a fairly religious culture, an atmosphere of religiosity or Christian religiosity. I think we'd be surprised uh, how many people actually kind of are on this trajectory? Are we basically good? Is the best thing we can think of what our God is? Okay. So with that in mind, let's press into some other kind of questions to frame out the reflection on this. The word nature naturally, right? Think about it. Think about how we use it. It's natural. It's only natural. It comes naturally. She has natural talent. Naturally, natural light. I mean, we, we use it in all these different frameworks, don't we? To think, and, we and do we ever stop for a moment and ask, what condition are we actually talking about? It's an adjective here, right? It's an adjective. It's describing a kind of condition. What does the expression actually mean? Well, it seems, at least the way we use it, the common usage of an idea like nature or natural or naturally is good. If it's in accordance with nature, it's positive. It's somehow elevated even, right? Natural talent. 
But it is a very deep word when you start thinking about it. There's a lot of association with this, right? And the fact, why do we uh, move on the assumption that it's a, it's a positive to say something is natural, you know? But I use these phrases, you use these phrases. This is just part of our vocabulary. And it's, but, but again, today, just to pause and, uh, and reflect on this. Well, I think nature and grace has to be thought of uh, before, as we get into the biblical content, as we get into scripture. I think it's important just to ask culturally, like we've done here, what do we mean? What are we talking about? Right? Science, nature, human nature, positive good, ultimate good, final good. What is it exactly? Created, not created, evolved? This question and this topic, uh, as you work through it in the next few minutes and then into next week, can be approached from two related directions. All right, And I say they're related because I think they overlap. There's a connection between these two expressions. So when we talk about nature and we talk about grace, and specifically, I'm isolating the idea of nature here, right? Nature as the biological, physical, and material order of the world around us. All right? So we all understand nature in that way. Science 101, uh, hiking, going to the beach. Uh, you get it, your backyard. I mean, right? Nature, <laughs> right? plants and animals, the physical world, the universe, the cosmos, whatever. We, we call this thing nature. But then there's this other framework, and it's more of an interior nature. It's at the micro level. It's nature as human nature or personhood. All right? I think the Bible speaks to both. Scripture is concerned with both, as I hope to try to show or reflect on here, because God is the author of both. He's both the author of the natural order and human nature within that order, right? So scripture doesn't isolate just human nature. Scripture is also concerned with material things, the material world, the physical world. Okay. An, an attendant sort of concern to, to think about is how the question or how the uh, the topic has been reflected on a question or approach through the centuries are we bound by nature can we overcome and free ourselves from nature just pause on that one for a moment it's an old sorry these are old questions these are old questions they have deep roots, especially in Western thought um, and various historical cultures have had versions of these questions, the Greeks and the Romans. Um, philosophy has approached these questions certain way, certain ways. And of course, theology, Christian theology. What does it mean to say we're both in nature? but we want to be free from it at the same time. Um, the pre-modern world approached this mainly through philosophy and religion, the question of philosophy and religion. And I'm speaking kind of generically here, not, I'm not nuancing this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, that 
the modern world has found other tools and mental, intellectual constructs, mental constructs to approach this through science. That science and modernity have changed how we approach these questions. Are we bound by nature and can we free ourselves from nature? So we, haven't, we still have the philosophical, theological kind of stuff of the antiquity. Sorry, Michael's coming to escort me off the stage right now. So, okay. Uh, a big cane comes out. <laughs> um, uh, but, but science, the modern world, has introduced tools and methods of reflection that have changed the way we've asked these questions. Uh, because what happens, of course... 16th, 17th century, science is not invented, but it's revolutionized. Approaches to nature, approaches to human nature are revolutionized such that we can apply certain methods to capturing what these things mean, and we can also kind of conquer nature in new ways. Air conditioning, I like that one. <laughs> Medicine, technology, etc. Think about a question like Darwin or Darwinianism. Darwinian determinism. Think about the irony of it and how that shapes these questions. On the one hand, Darwinism bounds us to nature and, it, and, and without any possibility of being freed from nature. On the other hand, just because Darwinian theory is so prevalent, it doesn't mean the human question of are we still are we always going to be bound to determinism? Are we always just going to be creatures of organisms and, and, and biology? Is there something else? So think about these two questions as we move forward. Right? And you're saying, you're giving us too much to think about here. Well, let's look at, let, 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 I think it's important. I think it's important to frame it up this way. Because when we turn to scripture, when we turn to our theological reflection, after all, we're Christians and this is a church, We, we, we have to consider how the authority of Scripture uh, helps us navigate this question. And, I, and I, the, those old questions that I just put up there. And so theology, in Christian theology, it gets at... It, 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 let me see here, I jumped ahead here. It gets at these, it gets at these questions in very specific ways. We're dependent, in, in a sense, on the revelation of God to help us navigate this. And the first starting point for navigating this is um, nature as creation is good. It's not bad. And God declares creation good in Genesis 1.31. This is important. Because the declaration of nature as good means that as believers, we cannot see the material world, the physical world, as something simply to be overcome. We're part of it. God made it good. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So it's not just good, it's very good. And it was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. It's a starting point for understanding nature, okay? What else can we see here? God, in Genesis... Grants humanity, so we're dealing now with that physical reality of nature. God grants humanity a unique relationship with the natural order by virtue of creation in his image. 
nature is a gift for human cultivation and usage. Okay, that's my, let's look at the text to see if I'm right. Then God said, this is Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. It's familiar to us. I'm not trying to get into the, the deep questions of what actually happened. I'm going on an article of faith that this happened. God blessed them, the, the man and the woman, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. It's a granting that has a relationship to the rational creature in the image of God. It's a gifting. Nature is a kind of gifting. And then you can break it even further into these various semantic components uh, of these words that we see in Genesis. In the Hebrew, it translates most literally or woodenly, increase, fill the earth, master it, and rule. Greek, increase and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule. Older Latin, increase and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And then the Vulgate, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Are we getting the theme that's being repeated here? There's a relationship between the created order and the gift. Creation or nature is distinguished from the creator or God. That's the first premise. It sounds simple, but to miss that as... Harrison Ford does is to either find God so far outside of nature there's no connection or we collapse God into nature. Pantheism. Second idea here, human activity within nature includes including reproduction which is stated in all of those translated translation. Human reproduction is tied to this relationship. Human activity is pronounced as a blessing or a condition of blessedness. If you, if, you, if you look at this, God blessed them. It's a condition of blessedness. It is a condition of God's favor, nature, our activity within nature. And then thirdly, human freedom to rule and subdue exists as a gift within nature or creation and not apart from nature and creation. I, it's, impart, it's important to recognize and reflect on the text that when we talk about the freedom of nature in creation, 
the gift is not something to overcome. Whatever activity we have within nature is meant to work within nature. We don't beat it. We don't overwhelm it. Okay, according to, to Genesis. All right. So now, with, with that in mind, two more considerations about freedom in nature. When we think about our material conditions and we think about our bodily conditions, if we're reading Genesis carefully and we're reflecting on it carefully, there's nothing in Genesis that says improving material conditions or our bodily conditions, our health, is something you should not do. There's no prohibition. There's no sense in which uh, it's wrong, okay? We call this quality of life, and it doesn't seem to in anywhere does the Scripture seem to, to interrupt it or, or suggest that you're, you're sinning somehow uh, by improving our material conditions. As a matter of fact, it seems that those passages indicate, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, okay? But we have to add the third consideration of the text of Christian teaching, which is what about sin? What about sin? What about the fall, which comes two chapters later, right? The fall, the sin, affects us two ways. It affects those two categories I started with. It affects the natural, biological, physical, and material world. And it affects human nature and our moral condition. Both are from God. Create the created reality of nature, the created reality of human nature, and this loss of this relationship in its purest created form, the fall, the loss of this communion, and the restoration of it affects both categories as well. It affects both the natural order and it affects how we engage the natural order or how we engage our understanding of ourselves. We have to reckon with the fall and sin. Whatever we mean by improvement of material conditions or health is always subject to frustration on a biblical model. Always. Christianity teaches that human nature was created good by God, but it has been corrupted by sin. And three very important questions emerge that will cover all of church history right up to this very hour, this very moment of Christian thought. What does this mean for our will? What does this mean for our sense perception and our reason? And what does this mean for our judgment about right and wrong? Okay? So just by way of review and, and reflection quickly, what are, what, are, what are we saying here? We're saying that creation is good. We're saying that nature is good in, as a gift and a state of blessedness and that human interaction with it is good and that human nature itself was equipped to know right from wrong, okay, in this gift. But we also are saying that something has happened. Something has happened that's frustrated the human ability to press forward with both a true understanding of ourselves and perhaps even a true or accurate understanding of the natural order. We're frustrated, okay? We're frustrated. Paul, 
Paul seizes upon this idea of nature, okay, and the problem of human nature. In Romans 1, uh, starting around verse 18, Paul, he's, he's, com he's contrasting the righteous and the unrighteous. And he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of, people, of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 20. Four. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal and power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, I know you're, some of you are very familiar with this verse, but it's a critical verse in the history of Christian thought and in our own thinking of this. Why? Because what Paul is saying, he is saying that by virtue of creation, we know something about God. Okay? There is a quality about God's power and God's divinity within the natural order. And this quality can be known by the rational part of creation. You, the image of God, reason, the soul. It knows this. It recognizes it, according to St. Paul. Elsewhere, and Gill's been teaching uh, this, he taught this last week really well. There's another passage to look at in, with this idea of human nature, creation, and the natural order. Okay? Romans 8. Romans 8, and again, Gill does a great job unpacking this. If you go back and listen, it's, it's the turning point in the message. It's for those who are suffering. It's a passage. It's a word to the suffering. And it's a word of hope. What Paul does with this word of hope and suffering, though, he ties it, our suffering, into the larger question of creation itself. It's of a piece. The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly, await, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now here, he's not talking about rational creation. He's talking about material creation. He's talking about those, the things, the world itself, nature. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subject, subjected it in hope. It is not a futile frustration. It is not a hopeless frustration. It is a hopeful frustration because why? Creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The same freedom of expectation that we have in Christ is a freedom, a fulfillment that is going to come about for all of the natural order. And then the, the image of birth, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. It is an image of suffering, but it's an image of suffering within hope. What is a birth? <laughs> it's new life. It's the pain of labor that produces new life itself. And not only that, but we who also have the first fruits of the Spirit. It, it, this is in other passages, the resurrection, the, the, the hope of the resurrection, the first fruits of Christ, of the Spirit. We Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption 
the redemption of our body. It's probably one of the most profound passages that we could spend a lot more time on, trying to figure out what's the relationship between our nature, the natural order, and our hope. And they are tied together. 1 Corinthians 2, okay? 1 Corinthians 2. Here, Paul, um, Paul actually uses the word the natural man or the natural person, okay? Uh, it's one of the only places we see him refer to this. And, and he says, these things we also speak about, not in words. So the, the entirety of the context of this passage is one of wisdom. What does it mean to have the knowledge, a different order of knowledge and understanding? Okay. The things with these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the sukakos, the anthropos, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. What's important, what we have to seize upon here, this is not, Paul is not describing two orders of being, two types of people, two orders of creation. He's talking about two orders of wisdom and discernment, natural and supernatural. All right? That which grace reorients, the knowledge and wisdom that grace allows for the completion of the self, for the fulfillment of the self. All right. The contrast is not the believer is of a different order of reality. The believer is of a different understanding of reality. And finally, just to kind of wrap us up as we press into what I'd like to do with this into into next week. We're left with three huge questions. If we take creation seriously if we take the idea that human nature and nature share a relationship but have been frustrated by the fall, have been separated from its fulfillment in God, there are three questions that emerge in church history and historical theology that retain all through uh, the earliest days of the church. And there, there are actually several figures worth looking at here next week. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Calvin and Luther, and then some modern figures as well. What are they wrestling with? And what is the great struggle now? Does grace perfect what is already present in human nature? Is there something within our nature that's already there that grace is bringing into a kind of completed or fulfilled state? Or does grace renew human nature by supplying what human nature cannot supply itself. Sounds similar, but they're very different. And then finally, does grace actually obliterate our nature? Does it crush us? Does it make the material things of the body irrelevant? Is human nature gone once we're saved? Well, believe it or not, this is... This has been a hinge conversation in the entire history of theology, in the entire history of the church. It's been a, these three questions have haunted much of the discussion. Augustine against Pelagius, Aquinas against Ab Abyssinia, and the um, 
Arab philosophy. And Luther and Calvin have seized upon it in the sensus divinitas, the idea that we have a sense of God. What does this mean, you see? Well, we're out of time for now, except for if there are any questions. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes. And we fail at that. But what about God day and Earth Day and that man has no you know relationship in creating? Yeah. Um I I think it's a very good question. Is is the is the sense of our frustration and the futility that the Bible speaks of? Are natural disasters part of that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, two, two chapters after creation, the, the ground itself is cursed. The material form is cursed. Um, it, it does seem that the, par the theological paradigm is nature itself would not have been that way apart from the curse. <coughs> Earthquakes, destruction. Um, But I don't know for sure. <laughs> John Halsey. Did you? Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I'm stuck all the way back on the first slide. <laughs> I um, just comment that. Yeah. Well, I heard maybe, yeah. The first thing you were talking about, the, you know, are, is human nature good? Yeah. There seems to be um, in our in our world today. There there just seems to be this deep kind of ambiguity or uncertainty about that question and what. Yes. What kind Yes. And one of them wants to, one of them believes that, uh, you know, humanity needs to be annihilated. Uh, and one of them needs, believes that human nature needs to be completely surpassed. Yep. You know, into some new species, uh, basically. Yes. But both of them agree that human humanity is fundamentally bad and needs to be over. Uh, so there, yeah, I just, I mean, and it's, it's interesting that it's a cover story in the Atlantic. I mean, that it, this is yeah. a real... No, transhumanism is, yeah, the, the, yeah, this is the intersection we're in. It goes back to why do I think this is worth talking about? Uh, one, it's just, it's theology 101, <laughs> right? Two, it's like, oh, theology 101 sure has gotten messed up in public discourse all of a sudden uh, out of nowhere. So, yeah. One more, and then we go in peace. All right. Uh, oh, yeah, please. One more. Yeah. Yeah. What we say by nature and what we really mean, I think people say, oh, I'm a naturalist or I see this. Darwin makes it very clear, and this is often misquoted, it's not anything other than the ability to change. Right. It, we, we say adaptation, but, it, but the ability to change is the ability and willingness to change. And when we look at nature, we think, oh, wow, this is so yep. you know, positive. And, and yet, when we see the other side of it, which is, you know, it, it, it isn't. Yep. That is our survival. That is sort of it's good. That we see it. 
And so theologically, we also want to step away from that being permanent. We don't want our theology to be constricted. That's it. Here's grace. It's That's it. stable, and, and it never right. changes. Because in reality, it's good. as far as uh, Corinthians is saying, our birth pang is we're constantly supposed to be growing in the way God supposed, supposed to be fed constantly and never stop growing. It's an, it's an eternal, basically birthing into a new self, into a new it's good. environment. And so when we look at nature, we say this, they're only seeing the one side, because we want to see that. They're making a God out of something that isn't. No, no, no. We're, 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 we're seeing the good. And we want that to be eternal, but it's not. It's all corrupted. And so our spiritual growth also has to be aligned with changing as God changes, changing as our life changes. Otherwise, we become stagnant. Well, obviously, that's why this is this big discussion in the church, right? That's very good. That's, thank you. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.